everybody, and welcome back to Don't Praise the Machine. My name is Alexander Holland, and as always, I'm sat digitally next to my number one pod pirate. It's got to be the one called... John Maloney. John Maloney, we're bringing everybody episode number 97. And episode number 97 make me think of my local Australian Rules football team, the Adelaide Crows, won their first ever premiership in 1997. Oh, And wow. I was there. I was a very lucky boy. My father mm. was able to procure a single ticket. Yeah. And he was kind enough to give it to me instead of going on his own. So I want to say real thanks, Dad. Oh, he didn't even go himself. He didn't go himself because I was such a Crows nerd mm. that he knew what it meant to me. And so he drove me... We drove to Melbourne. We stayed with my uncle Michael. Shout out mm-hmm. to Michael if he's listening in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And Adelaide Crows. I went to the MCG. I saw those Adelaide Crows win their first ever premiership. Wow! And it to this day is the single greatest moment of my entire life. I peaked <laughs> too early. It's all <laughs> been real downhill. Every <laughs> peak experience that I've had, yeah, has just no been. I've. You can every uh, every time you climax, you say, "Just not like the crows." It's just not like the crows. I sometimes I'm smoking a cigarette in bed yeah. next to twelve naked supermodels, and I just yeah. and they go, "Wasn't that amazing, Alex?" <laughs> the hit, the famous host podcast from Don't Be a Machine, and I go, "Oh, this is nothing like when Malcolm Blight led LA Crows <laughs> to a premiership in 907. Oh, I was there at MCG, <laughs> and they say. Oh, Al, you always say that. They all say it in unison, the naked <laughs> supermodels. And then didn't they didn't they win again in nineteen ninety-eight? Correct, John. Very well done. Wow. Such a crow's head. Yeah, Malcolm Blight led it. them to their second premiership in nineteen ninety-eight. Wow. And they have not won a premiership since. So it's been a long time between drinks for the old crowies. Mm, there you go. Let's just make this about this episode about the crows. Guys, I know you've been waiting for it. It's one hour of <laughs> late 90s golden era Adelaide Crows podcast. We're going to be talking about Andrew McLeod. Mm, Tony Modra. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Tony Modra. What are you sipping on there, John? TTT? Yeah, this is a chamomile uh, with Manuka honey tea. Oh, to, keep yeah. the, to keep your scaries away. Exactly. It just calms me down. Sometimes I get a little freeze up when I'm in the middle of a schlag and I've got a narrative choice to make. So it just <laughs> helps with my nerves. You've got your little, every time we start the podcast, people can't see this, but John has a hot water bottle on his lap. He's clutching a little <laughs> blanket that has baby ducks on it and he's sipping a chamomile <laughs> tea and he's got a bumper sticker on his forehead. That said, self-care is important. I love love that about him. So, um, Al, you've been been traveling a bit this last week, so this might be news to you if you haven't been watching the news. Uh Uh, But you will have heard, and we talked about this last week on the show, our listeners will have heard of the Chinese spy balloon over America that was eventually shot down and the wreckage is now being recovered. That was, I think it was shot down on the 4th of February. Okay. And then on the 10th of February, this might be news to you, the US Air Force shot down 
a high-altitude unidentified flying object that had entered airspace over Alaska. Okay. And it was described as the size of a small car, so pretty different proportions from the first one. Yeah, the first one was meant to be three bus size. That's right. It was huge. Yeah, huge payload and huge balloon. This was very small. It was cylindrical. It was appearing to float. And then on the 11th of February, another object was found over the Yukon. And then on the, that was also shot down. And then on the 12th of February, another object was found over Lake Huron, which I think is in Michigan in the US. And that was also shot down. And our listeners will know if they've heard the podcast before, anyone who's heard the podcast before will know that I have a bit of a soft spot for the unexplained for mysterious stories. And this has a bit of that ring to it, but unfortunately that's not the direction that I can take this particular story in. Uh, I'm a bit embarrassed, but I have to do a bit of a mea culpa on this one. Um, We've mentioned that we were redoubling our efforts to bring the show to a wider audience and, uh, you know, podcasting, it's a saturated market. You've got to sort of think outside the box a little bit to distinguish yourself from the fray. And I was around at our producer Colin's house the other night and yeah, we'd had, we'd, we'd had a few drinks. We'd done some other stuff. We're in a bit of an altered state and we had the idea to, I guess, have a bit of a crack at some viral marketing inspired by the Chinese spy balloon (laughs) idea. Uh, so, you know, it was pretty straightforward. We went on Gumtree uh, down in Geelong, which is a town near Melbourne. There was a guy who was trying to offload a couple of Datsuns, clapped out Datsuns and a Honda Civic. And we got uh, some money out of the advertising budget and we got hold of them. And then I have a cousin. I don't want to say who. I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but he had access to some reflective paint and a lot of helium. And so we, <laughs> we, we wrote big black letters on them, DPTM, and we painted them spacey colors, spacey silver color. And we, we compounded them down into a roughly cylindrical shape and we sent them on their way over the Pacific. And, uh, obviously we misjudged the mood and we probably should have realized that this wouldn't be taken in the spirit of mischief that it was intended. And the other thing that we didn't realize is that DPTM stands for director of plans, training and mobilization, which is a division of the U S army. So, uh, basically no sooner had they, uh, made their way across the pond that they were dispatched, they were shot down. And now I think the concern is that when they're recovered, it's going to look like they're masquerading as U S army equipment. So look, we're, we're, uh, in a fair bit of strife at the minute. I'm hoping that the silver lining will be that there's a bit of extra, um, attention on the show. That should be but a spike. Co- there's got to be a spike yeah, there. Yeah, should be a spike. Colin and I probably will get extradited, uh, <laughs> is the, the latest advice. But, um, but yeah, sorry about that, everyone. And I'm sorry it's not aliens. I wish it could be, but it's just a couple of Datsuns and a Honda Civic. <laughs> it's just John <laughs> and Colin's viral marketing campaign gone <laughs> tragically wrong. <laughs> So I've just returned last night, John, from a weekend in old London town. I was over yeah. there doing a DJ gig with mm-hmm. some of my 
lovely crew over there invited me over. I want to say thank you to Simon for organizing the little mm-hmm. drum and bass gig at the Walthamstow Trades Hall. We had a great lovely. time. And during my time in London, I did what I often do, and that is I get a real hankering for a dub chiggy. That's a double cheeseburger. My stomach start <laughs> real rumbling, and it says... Time for you to find a McDonald's location near you and pop in. Something about being in London makes you feel like you can give yourself permission. It's true. I I don't Mm. eat very much McDonald's at all in Berlin. It's also expensive here. It's another. That's that's an entire another episode. But in London, you can get a double Mm. jiggy for two quid, and that's a Mm. great price. So I was near St Paul's Cathedral, and uh, I went to a McDonald's there, and. As soon as I walked in, I noticed that it had more of the automated self-service kiosk screens than I'd ever mm-hmm. seen in any McDonald's. Are you familiar with these in Australia? Yeah, they're big in Australia, the, yeah. the kiosks. You mm. guys are like, Australia's always quite into all of this like yeah. automation tech. Every time I it go to Australia, it's, there's all, you're always steps ahead. So anyway, I mean, the, the self-service kiosk things are definitely a thing in Berlin, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, I I went I walked past the McDonald's yesterday, the one at Oskreutz, which uh, is a big train station here, and the McDonald's was very busy, and they only had two self service mm. kiosks, so that gives you a sense of just how far behind they are here mm. in Berlin. Wow. But so anyway, I went to the self service kiosk and I jumped up and I ordered my little dub chiggy. So excited, just paid yeah. two two quid, and then I did my favorite thing ever. And that is to just say no to every single upsell that the screen tries yeah, to give me. Of course. Where it says, are you sure you don't want to buy life insurance with that double cheeseburger? <laughs> no, thank you. Are you sure that you wouldn't like to buy a brand new mountain bicycle? No, thank you. I said, no, 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 no. And so I made my order. And then uh, as I approached the pickup area, I, I'm mm-hmm. being a don't praiser and being interested in the way that technology is changing the world around us. Uh, the first thing I noticed, I think it's the first time that I've ever yeah. been anywhere, particularly yeah. to a McDonald's, but there was not a single cashier manning a till wow. from as All far chaos. as I could see the entire uh-huh. thing. The entire mm. counter had mm. been converted into simply a space in which the staff members could pass the meals out that had been ordered through mm. the kiosk. Wow. I'm sure they would have had like an iPad or something behind the counter if some old person doesn't want to use the kiosk. But yeah. it was not at all. I couldn't see it. I don't know where it yeah, was. Yeah, it yeah, might have yeah. been one off in the corner. Yeah. And there, was no one sort of, there was no one permanently... Station there. There was no one permanent station there. It was just screen. It was just screens that were showing you the number of which order was was being prepared and which order was ready to be picked up. And then people Mm -hmm. were saying number ninety two, number ninety six, and it was very busy. It was a Friday at lunchtime, Mm -hmm. and the thing that struck me was that I had never considered the pleasant atmosphere of a McDonald's Mm. before. I would have never thought before this moment. (laughs) You know what I love is the atmosphere of a McDonald's. It's <laughs> an absolute dream to walk into yeah, a McDonald's yeah, yeah. and the feeling, the ambience yeah, of a sure. McDonald's is just magnificent. But mm. 
there was something missing and it was mm. very odd and I couldn't yeah. I couldn't place my finger on it. Yeah. It's just interesting listening to you describe it. As you say, we're fairly ahead of the um game, which is uh, sounds like I'm boasting, but I think it's a game to, towards kind of sad end stage capitalism really where like we have we have McDonald's here where they're mostly just kiosks and it's it does it do lose something because you know I remember kind of at the end of the night you get a burger you're kind of lining up with a bunch of people there's there's you're waiting for your burger and you talk to an actual person and then you mm. see it getting made this was all kind of just feels like you're you're being uh you sort of exchange, it's a very transactional and kind of, yeah, very sort of stark and you're just under these fluorescent lights and there's no people around. It's, it's great. They, they hadn't, and they hadn't really decorated the counter with anything. It, it was, it was like a, it, it was like a, a kind of a stainless steel countertop mm. and, and kind of a, ba- and so this is the other thing that, the fact that there are just no tills on the counter, that mm. in itself is quite odd that yeah. you're just looking at a stainless and a clear stainless steel bench <laughs> top yeah. that is just having sort of bags <clears throat> constantly slid over sh- it. Why don't but, you have a shoot? Yeah. <laughs> I think they should fall from the ceiling. I think you should have to catch them. <laughs> there should be, you should have to walk under a whole bunch of McDonald's employees that are just dropping bags down. <laughs> <laughs> like, like a like a World we, War Two blitz. We always end up talking about shoots on this show. I don't know why. <laughs> Next, we're going to talk about the wonderful Shin's album "Shoots Too Narrow." Shoots continuing narrow. our shoots theme. Very but prescient. I went, I went home. Uh, well, I went to uh, after I had this experience. I was telling all my London friends, and I mentioned mm-hmm. it to my dear friend Claire, and she was able to articulate, I think, what was happening. Mm. That was giving me that odd feeling. And she said that instead of people ordering and having an interaction with a human and then just patiently kind of, often you would just get your food. You might have to wait a minute, but they would prepare it and hand you the bag as you stood in front of them. And then that seemed to change over time to where they would kind of take your order and you might just mill around for a bit before they made it. Then they'd keep taking Mm -hmm. other orders. Mm -hmm. But what it's changed to is now it's just like in this case, 50 people standing around with their arms crossed, (laughs) just kind of impatiently waiting for their meals to be slid to them. And the staff staff aren't really talking to anyone. It's almost, it's become, it's got the kind of feeling of like a budget airline, like Ryanair (laughs) or something, where (laughs) there's this odd kind of adversarial relationship now between the employees and the people waiting there. And everybody's just well, holding tickets and nobody really knows where to stand. You, you kind of go, I hope I'm, no, I'll stand no, over here, I guess. You're in a, there's essentially no like a, you're in a kind of pen waiting mm. for your automated mill to be slid at you. <laughs> and it was, it was strange. It's a very strange yeah. experience. And I, I'm sure over time they'll come up with some kind of twist to make it a little yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. to add a little bit of ambience or something. Yeah. But, At least take you out of the pen. Yeah. I think you should be. I think there should be an option where you can pay like a buck and then you get to sit in a little isolation cube, a bit like a phone box. And maybe you put some headphones in it and just listen to your favorite podcast or some music while you're waiting for your burger. Yeah. So you get out of the pen area. <laughs> out of the meat pen. Get in the meat pen. 
then you just have Gen Pop milling mill, <laughs> around angrily outside. Well, I, um, I, after I walked out and after Claire mentioned this to me, I thought, look, yeah. what I would love, and it's so simple, McDonald's, I just want a, a bunch of department store mannequins to be placed mm. around the restaurant <laughs> just with McDonald's uniforms on. And that's yeah. it. But that'll do for me. And then you can yeah, have nice. you can have the actual human staff still behind so, the counter like slide the I bags am legend out. style McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then, then I want maybe the mannequin. You'll have one mannequin that's also sitting at a table that you can as a and it's kind of <laughs> Dressed as like a a boy, you yeah. have, you like can, a nineteen fifties Virgo boy. Yeah, a 1950s Virgo boy. You could sit next to him, and <laughs> but I mean, what I was thinking, what they what they could do, which I would, I mean, look, I I don't want to give them too many tips because yeah, this is real. Your own this, is, this is real gold, and McDonald's, you should get me on the payroll. But yeah, imagine if they themed certain restaurants from a particular (laughs) period so you could like you could go and the mannequins could all be wearing 70s mcdonald's outfits and yeah and the shop fit could be a 70s themed Mm. mcdonald's shop fit you could even go to a mcdonald's you could go to mcdonald's where they had recreated the famous dance scene from mac and me and that music is just playing on repeat <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know check out the film <laughs> Mac and Me which is like an ET ripoff that was paid for by McDonald's and there's a yeah. fantastic unexplained dance routine scene that takes place in a McDonald's <laughs> restaurant and i want if you're going to if you're going to be cutting costs with staff like this yeah. then get them get me some get me a Mac and Me themed McDonald's mm. with that song playing i'd like one where they reenact the scene with live actors Reenact the scene from Falling Down with Michael Douglas where he goes in. <laughs> he tries to order from the breakfast menu and the breakfast finishes at breakfast service finishes at eleven and it's like eleven oh two or something. And and then it he has this altercation with the manager that culminates in him getting his Uzi out and yeah. firing a few rounds at the ceiling. You could have a Michael Douglas mannequin with that flat top haircut and the white mm. shirt with the pocket protector and an Uzi, and you just stand next to that as you wait for your meal. Or just actors that kind of in an itchy and scratchy land style theme park situation, actors that just repeat that scene over and over again <laughs> throughout the day. <laughs> it's, I looked, I actually was, um, I was interested in what the what the advantages are, are of these kind of kiosks. So I did a bit of a I did a bit of Google research. This is from a company called WaveTech and they've done a blog yep. post. WaveTech, I don't think they serve McDonald's uh, the self-service technologies, but they have their own self-service technology. So they they're basically trying to push self-service kiosks and they were yep. saying on there this is from their blog and they were saying that McDonald's was one of the first movers to adopt and implement the self-ordering kiosk on a large scale. According to mm-hmm. a NRF report, 97% of consumers will back out of their purchase decisions if they face an inconvenience in making that purchase. <laughs> fast wow. food customers are not a fan of long queues because I guess mm-hmm. if you go to a fast food restaurant, you're like, this is meant to be fast food. So studies show that 75% of customers will leave if there are even seven people in line in front oh. of them. Uh, and McDonald's started rolling the self-service kiosks out in 2015. Mm-hmm. And 
<laughs> they plan to populate all 14,000 franchises across the state with the self-service technology by the year 2020. Mm. Uh, almost instantly after deploying these self-service kiosks, McDonald's saw an incremental bump in sales, a 6% oh. growth in sales in the first year after deploying. So you can see from them, they're looking at that data and it yeah. is working. They have also yeah. virtually eliminated human error because... There's no more communication gaps like there might be in the manual ordering process. Mm. You might say, can I please have... Sugar nuggets. Give me a Big Mac. And then they yeah. come back and they just hand you a fillet of fish and they go, exactly. oh, I didn't understand. They just put chicken nuggets in a burger. Yeah, this isn't <laughs> on the fucking menu. I like I like this, this one as well because this one kind of resonated with me, which is... Mm. For certain individuals, going up to a counter and ordering can be very anxiety-inducing, inducing, what am I going to order? What if they don't have what I want? Will they (laughs) customize my order? How many people are there behind me? And I've certainly experienced some of those. Sure. And when you're at the kiosk, you can just stand there for as long as you want and tippity-tap away. Um, I've got a interesting tidbit which has come into my head while you've been talking because mm. australia as as we discussed was i think probably an early adopter australia's i think a kind of mcdonald's test market from yeah things, i think you're right that's right which might mean that's that's why we got the kiosk fairly early and so people have also kind of of course found ways to mess with it fairly early <laughs> And back also, in it's also a problem with Australia being the test it's market also, is because it is. it's a uniquely Australian yeah. thing to do. Well, let's it's send just... it to the convict country to sort this out. <laughs> and, uh, and so back in 2019, I've just found a reference to it in an article from Delish magazine. It says, these guys figured out a way to get a free McDonald's burger using the kiosks. And it says... Two friends in Australia appear to have cracked the McDonald's kiosk system, allowing them to score a free burger. A YouTube video shows them taking advantage of burger discount by tricking the machine. In the ver- in the video, they order 10 burgers for $1 using the kiosks. Then they remove the meat from the 10 burgers, <laughs> which discounts each of the burgers by $1.10, 10, leaving enough surplus to cover the cost of a regularly priced burger at McDonald's. <laughs> the total order comes to $0, and the two men demonstrate... That when requesting to check out, the kiosk confirms that there is no payment required. <laughs> the, the video also shows, shows the friends opening their McDonald's bag with all 11 of their free burgers, while one free burger and 10 buns with ketchup and pickles. Uh, and then it says, um, it just goes on to say they posted it on Reddit. And so I, so I applaud that kind of Australian ingenuity <laughs> that's being deployed at some of these restaurants. The um, I, re- I saw something recently about um, about a, a kind of an earlier innovation, which was just the sort of checkout, auto check, you know, self checkout kiosks that they have in shopping centres, yeah, at, sup- at supermarkets, and uh, somebody was saying that he was aggrieved by the fact that his supermarket had switched almost entirely over to these self service kiosks, but then they had somebody uh, sitting at the sort of between the kiosks and the exit who was checking everyone's receipts as mm. they tri- tried to exit. And this person just basically said, you know, if you don't want to employ trained cashiers and you want me to do it myself, 
then you've just got to live with that and you can't check my working out. Like you've, <laughs> you've, you've made a decision and this is the consequence of the decision. I'm doing it myself. So he, he said he just walked out and this woman was going, sir, sir. And then he just kind of held the re receipt over his head and sort of glibly showed it to her as he walked out. But, uh, which I kind of loved, but, um, but yeah, maybe soon I went to a restaurant recently that had robot waiters and I thought, man, that's, that's what we're going to be seeing next. Did you, were you able to order from one of them? Uh, I, I don't think you, I mean, you ordered remotely using the, uh -huh. using a, uh, what do they call it? Um, Q, QR code on the right. table. And so you put your phone over that brings up the menu. You order this stuff. And then this thing that looks like a kind of lo-fi R2-D2 comes out and it's got a few layers of trays on it and on one of them will be your order. And it's obviously got a kind of programmed map of the restaurant on it so it knows exactly how to get to your table and then you just take it off the tray and it has this kind of demonic smiley face <laughs> painted on the front of it, which I liked. Um, did, you, did it bring you your food? It brought me my food. I mean, so you've got to, it brings it to the table and then you've got to take the tray off its, off its, uh, kind of robotic ribs. I like to think of them yeah. as these like trays in its chest region. And, uh, and then it just quietly goes back to the kitchen and I guess eventually we'll get to the point where it just goes back to the kitchen and in the kitchen, there are also robots just doing all the cooking. I mean, why can't we make robots that can do that yeah well there is there's um, a there's a test mcdonald's in fort worth texas that was getting mm -hmm. a bit of media media attention last year where that's a mcdonald's where there are some staff but there's a, also a lot of robots making mm. making things so mcdonald's is trying to tech the whole thing out until it's just robots i was just going to say that thing mm. what i do like about the idea of robot waiters is mm. that we can bring back a kind of 1950s Mad Men era way of treating waiters because they're not real people anymore. And because I'm a real <laughs> Don Draper head, yeah. I love the idea that the robot could come over and I could say, how you doing, sweetheart? And it would go, <laughs> hello, sir, I've brought you your meal. And I could say, you're looking real good today, baby. Thank you so much for bringing me my meal. And she goes, oh, you, fresh. And then I just give her a little pat on her robot bottom as she slides away. And it's fine. It's just and nobody's fine. the worse. Yeah. And then I look over to my left and another cool man like me, he's stroking his robot's head and giving it a little kiss and it's fine. <laughs> it's all fine. It's all absolutely fine. You might remember, and some of our listeners I'm sure will remember, Marie Kondo. Mm -hmm. And she's been back in the news this week. Now, Marie Kondo 
in 2011, she released a book called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Mm-hmm. She's a Japanese woman. She's about our age. Um, and as I understand it, well, the, the book came out. It was a bit of a cultural phenomenon, and it sparked television shows. So there was a Netflix special uh, in 2021 called Sparking Joy with Marie Kondo and one two years earlier called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Mm-hmm. And to give you a bit of a flavor of what she's offering, uh, this, this is an extract from a Wikipedia article on Marie Kondo. It says, I think this is probably taken from her 2011 book. It says, in junior school, Kondo ran into a classroom to tidy up bookshelves with their classmate, while her classmates were playing in physical education class. Whenever there were nominations for roles in the class, she did not seek to be the class representative or the pet feeder. Instead, she yearned to be the bookshelf manager to continue to tidy up books. She said she experienced a breakthrough in organizing one day. I was obsessed with what I could throw away. One day I had a kind of nervous breakdown and fainted. I was unconscious for two hours. This sounds like somebody's edited the Wikipedia page, but I'm sure that's not what's happened. When I came to, I heard a mysterious voice like some kind of God of tidying telling me to look at my things more closely. And I realized my mistake. I was only looking for things to throw out. What I should be doing is finding the things I want to keep, identifying Mm. the things that make you happy. That is the work of tidying. So what she's done there after apparently having a divine intervention uh, experience, God telling it a tidy correctly is (laughs) coined a kind of system of tidying where you focus on objects that spark joy. And mm. so this, this kind of became a very popular catchphrase. Sparking Does it spark joy? joy? You know, you look at your, you, you look at your wardrobe, you think, Oh, I haven't worn that shirt in two years and I'm not really going to wear it again. So what you're supposed to do, I think is treat it with a degree of reverence. And she counsels you to kind of say a heartfelt goodbye to it and then carefully fold it and, you know, place it in a, a bin in a kind of semi-ceremonial fashion or something. And to me, the, the real magic of what Marie Kondo accomplished is not that she taught us how to tidy up, but that she turned something as prosaic as cleaning and shit up into a cultural phenomenon. I mean, I think about if I were to go into some... Uh, if I were to go to Netflix and say, you know, 10 years ago and say, I've got an idea for a show, basically it's, um, people cleaning up their rooms and (laughs) then they would say to me, that's not anything. It's not even like Seinfeld level, nothing where we kind of have an amusing take on the minutiae of everyday life. It's literally the kind of thing that people need to put on Netflix, uh, to alleviate the boredom of doing. So people are watching shows (laughs) instead of cleaning their rooms, or perhaps they're watching them while cleaning their rooms. They don't want to watch a show about that. But anyway, she proved that all wrong. And she has this idea of treasuring objects and treating objects, which, well, treating them with what seems to me a questionable degree of reverence and throwing them out only when they no longer spark joy. But she's back in the news. Uh, More recently, she revealed that this, I think, was in a Washington Post interview in the last couple of weeks. She's revealed that She's had three children now, and after the birth of her third child in 2021, she has, quote, kind of given up on uh, keeping her house tidy, she says. Ah. She says her house is messy uh, and that she's happy with that. So in light of that, she's changed tack, and she's now written a book 
called Kurashi at Home, How to Organize Your Space and Achieve Your Ideal Life, which apparently is about, quote, encouraging everyone to create their own rhythm, their own routine based on what makes them happy. And it contains lots of photographs, about 125 photographs, most of which are not of her house, but they're just of uh, pleasant examples of everyday life of the kind that she imagines. Now, you might be thinking this sounds even more amorphously vague than <laughs> telling me to spark joy by cleaning up my bedroom. But I'll give you some more specific examples of the things that she recommends. So this is from her latest book, Karashi, uh, at home, how to organize your space and achieve your ideal life. And these are examples given in the interview that she gave. So for example, uh, example one, flinging open her windows for some fresh morning air. That's a quote. Number two, wiping the soles of her shoes. Number three, scrapbooking. Number four, buying cotton pajamas because they feel good and help her sleep. And number five, perusing the tea leaf drawer and drinking tea three times a day to bring a sense of calm. Now, again, I'm kind of in awe of her like magician level swindle because (laughs) maybe even more so than before, because if I were to charge people for life advice, you know, by... And then I'd say, yeah, look, if it gets a bit stuffy, maybe open up a window. <laughs> well, I, I like pajamas. Uh, also have a cuppa, wipe the shit off your shoes. I, I mean, you'd have people lining up to get their money back. And the idea of just taking, the, the brilliance of just taking a bunch of shit that people are obviously already doing and packaging it and then selling it back to them. It's just, I mean, I salute her for her... Uh, for her boss lady antics, it's uh, it's quite something. Just you, you just do just do whatever. Just you could just catalog what you're doing that day. Just take out a notepad <laughs> and just go. Oh, you woke up, made a piece of toast. <laughs> exactly. And then you you couch it in kind of um, you know, in sort of slightly saccharine sounding language. Like so, there's just something about the way that the <laughs> Wake up in the the, morning. The the way that the margarine touches the corners of the piece of bread. That gives me a sense of peace. And I kind of, I don't want to get into into tricky territory, but I do kind of love the fact that the bigger part of our audience is is Western people. Mm. And I just think, would you be getting this advice from another white person or is the fact that she's Japanese yeah. and kind of the whole thing has this kind of, cause she makes allusions to kind of Shinto religion as her inspiration. And, uh, you know, to me that just seems a bit spurious because I think, Oh, well, I'm sure that adherence of Shintoism like pajamas cause they're very comfortable, but I don't know that that's that telling me to wear pajamas. <laughs> Is anything I, mean, I couldn't have arrived at myself. There is a kind of there is a kind of view of the Japanese as being kind of organized mm. and you know, they're a very kind of calm people people exactly. are picturing Japanese gardens and they're picturing yeah, flower arranging. Everybody's just very chill and connecting yeah. to that spirit of peace and tranquility. Uh, yeah, and like they do have a they do have a thing where they savor the small aspects That's of everyday right. life, yeah. you know, which she's obviously cottoned on to in a big way. So, yeah, well, look, we might get her in to do a bit of 
bit of marketing for us because I think she's uh, she's got a knack for dressing up nothing as something. <laughs> I, like, I, I like the I idea, John, wonderful. that her next book, as you mentioned, it's just it's the, the, the sentence, the preemptive sentence, there's just something about that she could just yeah, use yeah, that yeah. for every... <laughs> Like she's just, that's just the fr- at the front of every, so you just take, just write down what you did in a day and then just release <laughs> a book where everything is just, there's just something about sitting down at your computer and <laughs> yeah, exactly. realizing that the mouse needs to be charged and then you can't yeah. find the charging cable. And there's just something about searching for the mouse charging cable that you desperately need. And there's just something about calling your husband and asking him mm. if he's seen the mouse charging cable. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's just something about getting a prescription refilled because you left the prescription uh, in, the, in the well of a smart car that you hired and uh, now it's gone. There's just something about dropping a draft of your fatuous self-help book off at the publisher and waiting for the royalties to come in. thanks everybody for tuning in episode number 97 of don't praise the machine before we go got a little tip for everybody i don't know if i told you that i do this john but sometimes when I get real cabin fever, I've been in my house too long and I want to explore and adventure, but I don't really want to try too hard and I really want to keep it cheap. And if I've got a monthly travel ticket for public transport, in Berlin, we have a famous train line, which is called the Ringbahn, and it's just a train mm-hmm. that goes around in a circle. I think it takes about an hour <laughs> and a half to go around the perimeter yeah. of the city. And yeah. boy, oh boy, will I get on that train alone <laughs> and ride it around. <laughs> I love that. And, oh, typically, and typically what I would do, I've been doing this for years, and what I would do is um, if there was a station that I wasn't that familiar with or an area, I'd pop off and I would mm. just pop off the train and then I would just walk around with a sense of wonder oh, with my head in the good. air. Going, wow, mm. I can't believe that Gesundbrunnen has so much to offer and I never knew that. <laughs> I never knew that vetting could be so beautiful and I want to, <laughs> I'm so happy to have rode the ring barn around <laughs> That's alone. Lovely. And so far, I'm happy to say that I've, I've not had an, so much of a mental break that I've done it more than one lap, but mm-hmm. I am sort of wondering one day, if I if I if that extends out to two laps of the ring barn alone, <laughs> I think one day my friends might call me, and I've just been on it for days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on the week on the weekend, it uh, yeah, on the weekend it runs twenty four hours. It runs for twenty four hours, so I could oh, potentially wow. just ride it for like I love that. Just somebody <laughs> for a whole weekend leaving leaving work on a Friday night and just getting on the ring. And and just getting off on a Sunday night. Well, that was good. Somebody, somebody whose wife has just told them that they want a divorce is just sat, <laughs> kind of, just catatonic, on the ring barn. <laughs> so guys, I used to, yeah, go on. I, I really admire that. I used to fantasize about doing that when I lived in London, and I st- and I and I think about it occasionally in Melbourne. Although, 
you know, what are you going to see in Melbourne? Just a bunch of just no, another it's, suburb. It's very, suburb it's very, like it's very refreshing. It does, it does exactly. I mean, if you get on the Ringbahn in Berlin, you get this amazing mm. tour of the city. You can mm. just, you can just go around the perimeter of the city, and it's mm-hmm. fun. This, it's fun to get off on the station, mm. and sometimes you can just because it's above ground, so it's not like yeah. the tube oh, where you're I just see. seeing yeah, darkness. Okay. So you're seeing yeah. the city. Yeah. And I want to say, everybody, you can do it in any city of your choosing. If you got public transport, mm. just buy a day ticket and just yeah. ride it out. There's famously one of our favorite comedians, Brian Lemond Lemmy. He's got a great sketch where <laughs> one of his characters called Dee Dee is uh, looking at this bus. And the bus has a little sign on it that says that it's going to a town... Or a suburb called Yo- <laughs> oh, yeah, called Yoka. Right. And then he, like, the character of Dee Dee is just this, like, space head stoner. And he decides yeah. that he's going to have an adventure because he wants to know what it's like out in Yoka. So I can highly recommend if you guys look up Lemmy Dee Dee Yoka. Very good. It's fantastic. Very good. What's going on in Yoka? I had no idea I was going to get on the bus. I'm getting out to Yoka. So good. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a circular there's a circle line tram in Melbourne. There you that, go. Uh, that I might I'm gonna I'm gonna get on with renewed uh, enjoyment and wonder. Now I got I did get on it recently because I had to actually catch it and uh, and I love the two things. One, it's a kind of old timey tram that looks a bit kind of 1950s, and I like that because they just haven't they've left it. They've updated all the other ones, but not this one. And the second thing is that they give you, they, you know, there's an announcer who says, we're put, we're arriving now at the exhibition center. Yeah. This was world heritage listed at blah, blah, oh. blah. And then you, so you kind of get this little, you, it's for tourists, I guess. So you, you get it and you feel like, oh, I'm kind of being a tourist in my own city, which is a nice little, uh, nice little thrill. Thank you so much, everybody. That was episode number 97 of Don't Praise the Machine. What a fantastic episode it's been. We've loved talking about John and Collins' failed attempt to promote the Don't Praise the Machine podcast over US airspace. They'll almost certainly get extradited for invading that airspace, but you can't make a podcast without breaking a few laws. We've absolutely loved talking about Alex's encounter with the brave new world of McDonald's self-ordering only kiosk restaurant. Robots to the left of me, robots to the right. Here I am, stuck in the meat pen with fries. And we've absolutely loved giving you the hot tip to buy a daily travel card and ride public transport alone for hours around your city. One ring barn to rule them all. Get on it and have yourself a great weekend. And we've absolutely loved talking about world-renowned sightiness expert Marie Kondo and her exciting new pivot. Congratulations, Marie, on teaching us about the life-changing magic of turning nothing at all into cold hard cash. As always, I've been one of your hosts and I go by the name Alexander Holland and as always, I love being sat digitally next to my number one pod partner. He's going to be the one called Shonkalonka. Thanks so much, Shonkalonka, and thank you don't praise us. Don't forget to stay prayed up and we'll see you next week. At the podcast.